Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the bindings. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez and this week we are going to be covering the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. And this will be the last book of February this month and our last book for our Black History Month celebration. So this uh, the, the fifth season was published on August 4th, uh, 2015. It is the first book in the Broken Earth series and it's followed by the Obelisk Gate, and The Stone Sky, which were respectively uh, published in 2016 and then 2017. I'm unaware if this is a finalized trilogy or if there is going to be more to go along with it. I I, I have a lot to get to in, in regards to that. Everything I looked at is referring to it as a series, so not specifically calling it a, trili- a trilogy, so there might possibly be more to go along with this. Now, N.K. Jemisin has done several other fantasy series, and an aspect I love about this story is that it is more like a science fantasy than it is just kind of like a like a, a fantasy that takes place more in this world's past, even though what is the past, essentially, when you're reading about something that is taking place in the present and in the minds of all of the characters. So this story takes place on an earth called or on a in a plot of land called the stillness it they refer to it as the earth uh you don't really know based on the the period of time if this is like our particular earth or if this is like just like another earth like you know middle earth or uh midworld from dark tower or really anything in a fantasy in the fantasy world so it is kind of interesting and they still refer to it as earth which is something that is pretty common in all uh in all fantasy stories they they don't you know the planet whatever they're on isn't necessarily always called something different than what we call our earth in particular uh this story is really really incredible i i could be I could honestly say it's the it's this book one, which I've only read book one so far, is the most fun I've had reading a fantasy books or fantasy series since Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn, which I read probably five or six years ago, and I absolutely fell in love with that story. And I actually love this story for a lot of the same reasons: a really well realized fantasy world, a really thought out magic system that makes sense. And is explained to you in a way that's not overwhelming, and it's uh, but at the same time, very intricate. But something you can grasp, which is very difficult when it comes to these particular fan these fantasy stories that have these particular magic systems. Sometimes they're so complicated that you just don't feel like you can really wrap your mind around it in a book, or especially in the first read. And when they're a little bit longer, anything going from five hundred to a thousand pages. The odds that you read, you know, flipping back to page one and reading that book again are pretty low. So I really respect her uh, her ability to keep it simple yet make it make it have a lot of depth to it. And 
I really respect N.K. Jemison's writing style. Not only for that, but just she, I mean, she's a fantastic writer. This book reads really, really well. Uh, the copy I had, the story itself is about 460 pages. I burned through it in about four or five nights, which is uh, for a fantasy book with a lot of content, a lot of story behind it. Sometimes you pace those out. Sometimes they're a little bit more of a tedious read. And this one just, it read so nicely. It's just a really, really well-written story. And I really respect it for that. Now, like I had mentioned, the setting of this story is actually in a country called The Stillness. And as far as you know, and as far as the characters in the story know, and the people of The Stillness, this country, it is the only plot, of, the only area of land in this whole world. They know that there's islands, but because of the magic system, the earth is constantly changing. And this is the one place that is the still part of the earth. The one place that doesn't seem to be constantly shifting and moving. And the magic system in this actually revolves around the earth itself. And it's called orogeny, which is an actual thing in science, which is essentially like the study of... Um, or has a lot to do, or everything to do, with the, the actual tectonic plates in our Earth, which is really cool. So essentially, the people who have this ability are orogenes. They call them rogas, I believe is how they pronounce it, or ragas. Uh, I think maybe roga, or based on orogene. And um, so they essentially can just manipulate the Earth. Kind of. I don't know if you ever watched the show Avatar: The Last Airbender, but there's a, a, a type of air, a type of bender called an Earthbender. I watched that show when I was a teenager, and I still love that show, actually. it's uh, Even though it's a Nickelodeon show, it's one of the best animated shows ever. Uh, not saying that Nickelodeon didn't have got a lot of great animated shows when I was a kid. But uh, it's... So essentially, they these origins can move the Earth, but not only just, like, Earth itself. Like, they can shift tectonic plates. They can move mountains is, like, the best described version of it when, they're, when she's kind of introducing this magical system the beginning of the novel but also they can do even extremes like force a volcano to erupt or prevent a volcano from erupting which is i mean there's nothing cooler than that i mean of course there is but i'm just saying it's it's pretty awesome to think about like a human's magical ability to be able to just make a volcano erupt really awesome i thought it was so fantastically set up and also fantastically written the imagery that she creates when these um when these these aspects are happening within the story are really cool uh within that as well there are objects called obelisks which are essentially just giant crystals uh actual crystals that we know and are very familiar with here my wife kate collects crystals so we have a ton of them and um one of the main ones is an amethyst obelisk which amethyst is a very commonly found or commonly obtained purple crystal they're beautiful kate has some really pretty amethyst crystals that i absolutely love and but these things are like huge in the story like they're described as i don't want to say as big as like the like the sears tower or the empire state building or anything but like like massive like skyscraper size crystals and they call them obelisks and it, they're just really really cool and I'll, I'll mention a little bit more of them as we get into the character development in just a few minutes here and essentially the people who have this magical ability the orogeny are they're frowned upon 
in this society because they're cons it's considered a curse and they're considered very, very dangerous because when they get angry, they're not necessarily able to control their ability. And it's almost, you kind of get the perception of when they get angry, they this comes out of them and they, they have absolutely no control over it, but they can learn to have control over it. So what happens, which is pretty terrible, is either they are killed for having this curse or they are taken by a, a society or an organization called the Fulcrum. And the Fulcrum essentially takes these people in at a young age, typically is what it seems. They're trained and taught to use this orogeny power and they gain different rings as they go through. So in this sense, there's two books this really reminds me of, uh, it re or series it really reminds me of. It really reminds me of Mistborn, which I had talked about earlier earlier, which revolves around elementic powers. Uh, in, in the Mistborn series, there are different metal burners, like so you consume metals and different metals give you different abilities, like some give you strength, some give you like perception abilities. A lot of them kind of have to do with, or are very similar to some of the abilities that you can get in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is really cool. And it also reminds me a lot of an aspect of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, uh, the Aes Sedai, which is a huge part of the Wheel of Time series, it's a group of women who all have these uh, who have these magical powers that uh, that they have to be trained in. There's like a whole organization with the Aes Sedai, and they also earn rings as well. So there's different levels within the Fulcrum, ranging from having no rings to just being basically a Padawan early learner of the orogeny ability all the way to a 10th level which is your you have 10 rings so i assume that they cover your whole your whole hand at that point so really really cool and very very interesting and very well thought out like i said the the people they get taken to go to this fulcrum so like there's like a bit of like like you, it's not like Hogwarts. They don't want, like they want to go. I think they want to learn how to control it because the other option seems to be essentially living um, and not being able to use your abilities and having to hide it from everyone or death. So I think they go willingly, but it's certainly not like a Hogwarts type situation where everybody's super excited to go. Some are definitely taken uh, against their will. Others are forced to go by their family. And this kind of leads into several of the characters. So a really interesting aspect of this story is it's told um, it's told through three characters, Essen, Demaya, and Cyanite, who Cyanite is called Cyan. And Essen is your first introduction into this story. And it's really kind of fascinating the way that N.K. Jemison does it with Essen because it's as if the story, is, like, as the reader, your Essen, like, it, it, like, the narrator is constantly referring to the pronoun you, which is quite fascinating, and I'm curious if that's going to play more of a role as I continue into the other books of this series, because that wasn't necessarily, I don't expect that to be explained, but I, ex I kind of see that there's probably going to be a little bit more revealed through the story as the series goes on. There is a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of revelation in this story that I absolutely loved. And it's kind of like those parts of a, a great fantasy book where, you know, some incredible imagery, incredible storytelling is going on. And then this twist that kind of binds everything together happens. And you're just like sold. The kind of thing that like you 
finish the last page and you're like, oh man, I need to go get the next the next copy of this, the part two of this series. So we have Essen. The next character is Demaya. Demaya is a younger, uh, she's a young girl who is actually being taken by her family by a guardian named Shafa. The guardians are essentially people who are, who are, it seems like they kind of go and seek out young people who have the erogeny ability to give them guidance to both learn their ability, learn the boundaries of their ability, and kind of keep them in check to a certain degree. And he, Shafa, is responsible for taking Demaya to the fulcrum. So Demaya is the character that you're getting the the actual full, what the fulcrum organization is like, what this schooling is like, and you go through several years of her actually at the school. And then lastly, you have Cyanite, who is kind of like the the in-between Demaya and Essen. Essen seems to be a, probably in her late 40s. Demaya seems to be maybe 10, maybe a little bit older. And, and Demaya, they all age within the story. Demaya ages probably, you see the most, age or the most time passed with Demaya and then Cyanite who is probably more like 24 25 so you're seeing kind of different spectrums of these people or of of women who have this ability in the story and also I love uh, another connection to Mistborn as well incredibly strong female characters which really help to drive the plot and help to drive just an incredibly well-written story so Cyanite, when you're introduced to her, she has four rings, and she is still a part of the fulcrum. She is just starting to be able to go out and do actual business, like jobs, um, to help the, the, the country, essentially. And uh, she is... So the fulcrum wants to... It has, like, a breeding program, and she is very strong in her ability so she is in relations with a man named alabaster and alabaster is essentially like the strongest person in origin origin so he is uh he they have no interest in each other sexually or as, in any sort of relationship they actually really don't like each other especially at the beginning of the story and they're basically in a like I had said in a breeding program where they're just trying to make more people with the ability to continue the fulcrum's program and be able to produce really really powerful people with origin but keep them in a box and basically use them as tools which is there's a lot of conflict amongst the characters now I meant to mention this with Essen now Essen is the first character you're introduced, like I had said, you're being told, the narrator is telling the story as if you are her, which is very, very fascinating. Can't wait to, to get some more revealed about that as well in the future of this series. And uh, the, uh, what was I getting at really quick? Oh, so you're you're dropped in and she's been hiding her abilities both from her, her husband and the community which is called a com that she lives in and her husband does some really brutal things right at the beginning of it and there's a big fallout between her and her community and she's forced to flee and she is actually following her husband who has not kidnapped his daughter but has taken his daughter away from his wife so that's kind of where you're dropped in as far as Essen's character goes. And the rest of her story revolves around her chasing her husband. Now, I did not get to the... Um, I didn't full-on go into the setting. So with the stillness, 
it is it is basically it seems very barren but what i really love about this story is that it doesn't necessarily seem like it takes place in the past past you know like a lot of fantasy novels kind of fall into that like lord of the rings song of ice and fire uh robert jordan's wheel of time even mistborn as well kind of falls into like this ancient time period like not ancient but lord of the rings seems more ancient i'd say especially especially when you wait go back way back in the history of middle earth but you know more like a medieval time essentially and this story seems to take place in more of like a turn of the century like um like early 1900s type like they reference that there is electricity it's not like there are fully uh, electrically powered cities or anything like that but you almost get the feeling like that there was maybe like a fallout of some sort within this this world's past where like maybe it was way more developed than it actually is within the story and which creates this like essence of mystery that revolves around it like is there more to this whole world than we're really what we're seeing in this book which is just a classically amazing way to to intrigue a reader and i i really give it up to nk jemison like i said like this is for sure one of the most intrigued i've been by a fantasy novel in a really long time especially because it's like i had mentioned earlier it's not out of the wheelhouse of what you can really wrap your your mind around I didn't feel like I needed a Wikipedia page open for all of this. She has an appendix at the back that you can refer to pretty frequently. And along with that, she is using these uh, these points at the end. So every chapter ends with like a little just brief history thing, just something about the history of the stillness and the history of this world, which is funny because she uses it at the end. A lot of fantasy writers do this, um, sci-fi and fantasy writers do this, but a lot of them include it at the beginning. And I, I'm curious what her reasoning was behind it. I, I don't, I don't really see that it would play that big of a role or I don't really see it making much of a difference, whether it's at the beginning or whether it's at the end, but I love that she used it. I thought that she built them I thought that she built this world really well. I think it's really well realized, and I think that you can kind of wrap your mind around exactly what this world is within this first book, and honestly, within the first hundred pages of what it of what this book is. So I really respect that. And I never got to the fifth season, why it's called the fifth season, and this is kind of where I'm going with this fallout aspect of this story, is that because of these orogeny abilities that people have there's a lot of shifting of the earth itself which has caused these fifth seasons to occur and it seems as if the fifth seasons can be for anything from like winter's last and that's what the so the fifth season essentially is an extension of winter but almost like a gloomy darkness that can go on from anything from six months to years and years and they they've had different varieties of fifth seasons and if you look at the first appendix that jemison includes in the back you can go and read about the different seasons fifth seasons that have happened like there's an acid fifth season so it all has to do with the earth and the changing of the earth, which obviously is incredibly relevant right now. And uh, as we are having to face global catastrophes as far as um, the changing of our earth is going right now with global warming and everything like that. So pretty interesting and pretty, pretty relevant in regards to that. I feel like that must have played some sort of a role in 
like, I didn't even write this down for a theme, but it's kind of coming to me right now that all of this, like these, the fifth season is essentially caused by people who have orogeny abilities. So it's almost like our global warming is certainly happening because of a, a lot of the things, or not a lot, but mainly what humans have done to the earth in a very, very short period of time. That's always kind of scared me about global warming is if we think about all of these these aspects of our atmosphere that are deteriorating at like greenhouse with the greenhouse gas effect this is all a product of post industrial revolution which is late 1800s and that wasn't all that long ago it's really incredible how much damage that humans have done to this planet in such a short period of time and even something like uh I know I'm getting off topic from this book, but I, this is this is something that's always fascinated me, that one of the biggest producers of methane is our cattle industry and like the product our like the production of beef cows, because of the amount of methane they put off into the atmosphere. One of the biggest uh, like the I I want to say methane destroys more of our atmosphere than any other gas. I'm not a scientist. I don't also I've read this before. I don't don't take this for an absolute fact, but I know it does play a huge role in uh, our atmosphere's destruction, which is incredible. So it's just it's just little things like that, like where we could be a little bit more conscious of what we eat and what we consume and how much of it we consume. I'm not saying don't eat a hamburger, but maybe don't eat a hamburger two three times a week. I don't know. I also don't want to tell people what to do. It's just an observation I've made. Now back to the story. Um, the main theme I really picked out of this story is on the unwillingness to accept something you don't understand because the people of the stillness that are just the just regular average people don't have any abilities of any kind they are they do not have a good opinion on these people and it's one of those things where it's like it ha you know it, you can bring in race you can bring in um just cultural these these things that we don't have any control over they're just put on us i i can't i don't have any ability to change that about me there's certain things that i can't change about myself these people can't change the fact that they have this ability they were born with it and the other people are so afraid of it that they're just unwilling to accept that there is a possibility that the world can change for the better because of these people and i thought it was such a beautiful theme and so beautifully presented by N.K. Jemison, and I think it's something that I'm, I'm really excited to see how this progresses through the rest of the series because this book is is quite literally just the beginning because it's the first book but also like you, you just have that feeling that there's going to be a lot revealed in this story. There is so much that I'm completely unwilling to talk about right now because I want you to go read this story because there are twists and turns and aspects of this that just need your full attention when you read it. And I, for one, am excited to go and jump into book two, The Obelisk Gate, and book three, The Stone Sky. Now, I'm not going to be jumping into those books next. I am going to take a little break. I have some plans for the next couple of episodes after this. I am actually just started my next book, which is Needful Things by Stephen King. That was actually a request by a listener, which I'm really excited. Started it this morning. 
I've, I've been completely captivated for the last two hours with it. I had to actually stop so I could record this episode. And then after that, I'll be doing Carry and Comfort by Dan Simmons. So going to be leaning a little towards the horror stuff for a while. Although I really, really, really kind of just want to start the Obelisk Gate. I, I need to go pick it up. So I, I, I need something to read on Saturday mornings. It's Saturday morning right now. So I, I wasn't able to go to the library right away. So I started a Stephen King book, Needful Things. Uh, it's fantastic. I'll probably burn through it pretty quick. But I can, I'm, I'm just so excited to get to the obelisk gate which is book two so a lot on the horizon uh like i always say or like i try to say as much as possible go get a library card people love uh people love to read books i hope you love to read books i don't see why you would listen to my podcast if you didn't but uh go get a library card i know that you probably like to collect books too and i do as well but the library wants you in their doors and they want you to come check out their books and it's just a good good way to kind of insert yourself into your local community so go get a library card check out some books from the library you should check out the fifth season by nk jemison what a great suggestion and other than that uh keep your eye on my instagram page to see what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks and the coming months and as always i am max lopez and this is beyond the bindings (laughs) 